Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Why is organizational planning and analysis important? Well, most organizations don't remain the same. Rather, they continuously evolve and constantly need shaping, molding, and finessing in order to perform. Research from OrgView and CEBR found that companies that invest in organizational planning and analysis have a two times increase in productivity growth. For the US economy, that's potentially 100 billion. But the current method of organizational design is falling behind the needs of the modern day workplace. They struggle to understand where they are, let alone their plans and aspirations for the future. Most organizations invest 90 to 100% of HR resources in operations and only 10% in data and planning. Furthermore, most CEOs make no decisions based off HR data. Today's guest believes this needs to change if organizations want to be forward-proof and prosperous. Rupert Morrison is CEO of Orgview, a global HR and organizational planning company that believes that the brightest business leaders need to design for disruption and turn it into a competitive advantage. Rupert is an economist, recognized author and leader in organizational design, human capital management and analytics. His book, Data-Driven Organization Design, has been shortlisted for the Management Book of the Year Award by the Chartered Management Institute and the British Library. Rupert started his career as a sheep farmer in New Zealand, went on to be a management consultant for over a decade and later founded Orgview, whose clients include Tesco, FedEx and Johnson & Johnson. Rupert, welcome to the HR Chat Podcast. Thanks, great to be here, Bill. Uh, I'm not going anywhere, Rupert. Um, I'm not starting this interview in any other direction than the obvious. I have to ask, how does one go from sheep farmer to CEO of Orgview and Concentra Analytics? So, Bill, it's, it's, it's really a typical entrepreneurial story, and I, I, I should caveat that I'm, I grew up on a sheep farm, but I wasn't an adult sheep farming, so I should probably put that caveat out there. But I, I grew up on a sheep farm, um, many generations of, of, you know, farming family. We, we left Scotland in, in the 1840s on the second ship out to New Zealand, believe it or not. And, and it was, it was really, it's really a story of loss. Um, we, we lost the farm. Uh, and, and I lost my father and with, with, with tragedy, you know, I had to go and find my own way. And I, I you know, put myself through school, um, studied economics, uh, really enjoyed economics. And then um, what do you do if you're, if you're young and ambitious you, and you've studied economics, uh, you think, do I go into investment banking or management consulting? And I chose um, consulting because I thought I was practical because of my background. And, and, and loved it and, and was a management consultant, um, you know, for, for quite a number of years, uh, over 10 years. And but just was a bit frustrated um, as much as I was enjoying it with clients turning around to me saying, this is great. And we would often pull analytics together on all sorts of things, um, crunch data in Excel, sometimes Microsoft Access, visualize it all in PowerPoint. And, and clients would turn around saying, this is great, but what am I going to do in six months' time? And I, I just felt there had to be a better way to package up the insight that we were delivering, but also the tools and the methodologies so that our clients could actually use the kind of analytics that we were doing on an ongoing basis 
to help drive the performance of their business. So it, it really came through having an insight into my clients and, and what they were struggling with. Um, and, and, and I guess that ambition, but also that, that comes with loss, but also just, you know, the tenacity of, of, of and the entrepreneurship of wanting to do something different. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Thank you. And that's a really, that's a really powerful story. And, and, uh, you know, I, I often start these interviews by trying to understand uh, a little bit about the, 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 the reason behind, uh, why they joined or founded a company and, and yours is a very powerful story. Um, in 90 seconds or less, Rupert, maybe maybe you can follow up now and, and tell our listeners a little bit about uh, this this key concept, organizational planning and analysis, or OP&A, and, and where Orgview fits in with that. So OP&A is to HR what FP&A, financial planning analysis, is, is to finance. And both the FP&A function and the OP&A function are really there to plan the organization and ensure that the right levers are being pulled so that the senior leaders in the organization, the board, the executive team can execute on their strategy. OP&A starts with understanding the shape of the organization, what the organization is trying to achieve, doing the org design and its holistic design. It's not just spans and layers. It's understanding the work, the competencies and skills to do that work and the outcomes that need to be achieved. And that morphs into workforce planning. To making sure you've got the right numbers of people in the right roles at the right time in the right place, and then monitoring the execution of that. It's it's forward-looking, like FPNA is forward-looking. And like you said in the introduction, OPNA is a very small part of what HR does today. Often it's less than 2% of what an HR organization does, whereas FPNA is about 25% of the finance function. So there's a real disconnect in terms of the investment made in OPNA. In HR versus the investment made in FPNA and finance. Think videos out of reach for your recruiting, onboarding, and employee engagement efforts? With Powtoon, HR teams can easily grab employee attention with engaging videos and visual content for talent recruitment, employee onboarding, diversity and inclusion, employee well-being, company events, and more. Visit Powtoon.com today and use the promo code HRGazette15 to get 15% off any premium Powtoon plan. Powtoon, the visual communication platform. Okay, I think maybe you might be a bit biased with your answer here, um, but nonetheless, um, in in your view, why why do you think that um, companies traditionally haven't perhaps used data enough to plan their business strategy? But they, I mean, there's a whole myriad of reasons. It's, it's in part because the data is in a set of transactional HRIS platforms and it can't be used in the right way. It then moves its way into XLI islands and it's not structured in the way for analysis. Uh, it's also the kind of tech stack you need for this, and this is a self-serving answer, is one of playing with the data and modeling, but also connecting business data with people data. So business data is, is outcome data, so revenue customer satisfaction, growth, productivity, business productivity, um, business plans, and connecting that with the work that people do. And, and, and some of this data doesn't exist. So you need to build some of this data. So what are the what is the work? And you have to break that down into activity taxonomies to then drive that understanding. So that 
and, and the, the tech stack, you need to understand the work doesn't exist in, in an HRAS platform. That Those are really transactional systems for managing the employee lifecycle, if that makes sense. And um, so it's a combination of things. I think too often they've relied on uh, management consultants like I was point to try and get the understanding. The problem with that is it's, just, it's not sustainable. Hence, hence the, you know, that was really the insight that I had that you just couldn't do these one-off Excel islands. Okay, thank you. Now, now then, what are some of the reasons why businesses don't fully understand what their people do, you know, on a daily or weekly basis? I'm sure they've got a job spec for them. And, and which other key people they are potentially connected to within the organization, you know, in, in terms of understanding who your conduits are within a company? Why, why have some companies flagged behind in, in, in getting to that kind of data? There's several questions there. The, the first one about understanding the work that people do. First, you need to really want to know the answer to that. It, it, it takes a little bit of effort to actually get to that answer. So as a manager, let's say hypothetically, I'm your manager, Bill, and Bill, you, you know, you're on my team. I want to know what you do. I could sit down and say, so Bill, how do you spend your time? And you could write down a list on a, on a piece of paper or a whiteboard. And then I would ask follow-up questions like, do you think you should be doing this? What work are you not doing that you should be doing? What work are you enjoying doing? And we would have that conversation, and that is good management. But to do that organization-wide and to understand that more holistically, you have to start by building a taxonomy of work. And so we build a taxonomy, and we dimensionalize that taxonomy. So an example of a dimension is what work is strategic, operational, transactional. And as we say, you know, and that's used for analysis. So you say dimensionalize to analyze. But it's also, if I say, Bill, what percent of time do you spend um, interviewing for podcasts? That's an activity that you spend your time doing. You would find that really difficult to answer. But if I would say, how, how often do you interview for podcasts and how long does it take? You would say, well, I, I do it once a week for two hours. And then I can, I know how much you work, so I can infer the percentage. But then we also want to ask other data about that, like, do you enjoy doing it? Do you think you're the right person to do it? Um, what is your accountability? Are you responsible? Are you, or are you supporting or helping someone else who's responsible? Um, and, and, you know, and then from that, we aggregate that up because we, we know your salary bill, but we know all your colleagues' salary and we know where they spend their time. We can understand how the work is done and we can understand the cost of the work and we can understand the motivation of the work. And from that, we get all sorts of insights like what percent of time does senior people, senior executives spend doing transactional work? And often that's 30%, it's typically 30% of the time. But also to, to the other point about conduit, we can understand how the work flows. And part of that is we, we call it a give get. So who is giving what to whom and so we can see how the work flows and how the accountabilities, current accountabilities sit. And it, it won't surprise you that often lots of people think they're responsible for certain decisions and other decisions no one thinks they're responsible for. Um, and from this, we can get a whole range of insight, not just into cost, but into the bureaucracy of the organization uh, and where the emphasis of the investment is going. And, and therefore, you can pull levers around what work should be automated, what work should be outsourced, what work do you need to invest more in, et cetera, as, as well as understanding um, critical points of failure, you know, the key conduit. So where there's just one person doing a critical, a critical activity.
let's play that forward then and maybe maybe you can now offer some practical examples um what what are what are some things that chros and other leaders can do to improve their data capture and their integration you know with with tech like performance management platforms and so on and thus better enable the the analysis and modeling of their workforce data so we, we say understand the work in the workforce and bringing in activity data, bringing in business outcome data. So revenue growth, CSAT, ESAT, connecting all of that, the outcome data. We also believe in bringing in uh, competency data. So competencies are the skills, the technical skills, but also the critical behaviors, the general business skills, things like leadership, um, cognitive ability, bring all of that in. And, and, and with that, use it. It's an, it's an active sport, not just a passive. So we, we talk a lot about leaning forward analytics and leaning back analytics. And I, I think part of the problem has been is that people have expected analytics just to serve up an answer and you get an insight and then you move on and you make a decision and you move on. And a lot of what we're talking about here is, is designing and planning. So it's using the data to make decisions live. So for instance, what abilities be and what work should different roles do and what competencies should each role have? Which people should get what position and, and what is the talent pool um, or creating a market for talent using the competency data and the, and, and this, and the target for each role? And, and so that you're actually using this as a, as a live conversation. And so instead of talking about what if, what happened, what historical analytics, just looking backwards, uh, what now analytics, you talk about what if analytics, what if it would look like this? What if we would make these changes? And I think that's, that's where CHROs and, and, and business leaders need to be. They need to be thinking about how they can change the future, not just how they can react to the past. And, and to do that, you need to pull all this information together and, and make it playful. When you're playing, when you're moving things around, you're do, asking what if scenarios and it feels risk free, you're far more likely to have better conversations and make better decisions. You're not going to believe this, Rupert, but we are already coming towards the end of this interview. A couple more questions for you before we wrap up. Um, so then, as part of my homework, I discovered an interesting interview that you did for for sky news a while back and in it you suggested that for business leaders it's important to know and here we are in quotes how your organization is executing against your strategy not knowing what your people do and how they do it is a pretty big gap you said and if you overcome that gap that gap then you've got a twofold increase in productivity that you can take advantage of Sounds pretty good, Rupert. Sounds pretty good. Um, talk to me a bit about those savings in terms of productivity, employee hours, and money for for those companies out there that do allocate ongoing investment to organizational planning. So it, it's not just about savings; it's about productivity improvement. And and productivity improvement was measured by how much the EBITDA growth or profit growth happened. So. There's, it's, it's important to think about the difference between efficiency and effectiveness. If efficiency is output over input. So for a given input, how much output do I get? And effectiveness is your ability to hit your targets and execute your strategy 
which in, in most businesses then gets translated into profitability growth. And so we were looking at profitability growth. And, and what you're really doing is by getting the right people doing the right things at the right time, you're increasing the probability that you're going to do, you hit that profitability growth. And, 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 and it's a different mindset. And, and all too often, particularly in HR, people go to spans and layers and savings and just seeing it as an efficiency game of getting the same output for less. And, and yes, that, that leads to an increase in profitability. And that is good, but it's only part of the answer. The other part is how do I get an increase in revenue? How do I get an increase in customer satisfaction so that customers are more loyal, there's less churn, there's more referral selling, et cetera. And, and so everything we talk about is understanding the organization as a system and how they're connected so that you can then get that increase in productivity and that increase in performance. Okay, thank you very much. And just finally for today, Rupert, how can our listeners connect with you? So uh, whether that's through email, LinkedIn, Twitter, maybe on TikTok, and also how can they learn more about the cool things that are happening over at Concentra Analytics and over at OrgView? Uh, so I'm, 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 I'm not on Twitter or TikTok or, or anything, but I am on LinkedIn. Uh, so Rupert, Rupert Morrison, you, you should be able to find me there. Um, you could read my book. I've got a second edition coming out uh, this fall um, on data-driven organization design. So I've been slaving away on that, but that's... Um, so you can learn more from the book and actually the new new one coming out and the new edition coming out in October. Or you can go to orgview, that's O-R-G-V for Victor, U-E.com, orgview.com. Um, it's a number of different ways to learn more. Perfect. Well, Rupert Morrison, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Total pleasure. Thank you for having me. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working and please do continue to stay safe. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.